Welcome to the F-Sharp Podcast presented by Harmony Wealth. I'm your host, Tanner Bortnum, and with me is co-host Adam Henning. In this episode, we give you an overview about the types of accounts you could have, retirement versus non-retirement, employer versus individual, and the tax benefits of each. We hope you find this episode helpful. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. To the F Sharp Podcast, presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. Co-hosts Tanner Bortnam and Adam Henning discuss various financial topics presented in a consumable and entertaining manner. Tanner is a certified financial planner, JD, and financial expert, while Adam is a marketing professional and small business owner. It's time to harmonize. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Your future self will thank you. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the F-Sharp Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adam Henning, and I am joined, as always, by co-host Tanner Bortnum. Tanner, how we doing? Not too bad. How are you today, Adam? Good, good, good. Do I sound different? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Why? What's up? I, when I was listening back to the first couple episodes, I just felt like I was super nasally, but if you know me, that that's pretty on par, but... Um, uh, after many years of, uh, you know, being nasally and runny, I finally decided to go to the ENT doctor and figure out what's going on with my nose. So, oh yeah. So they must've <laughs> figured it out for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been, uh, they put me on a, I went to the, the doctor, um, and it took him about five seconds to go, yeah, bro, you've got a deviated septum and 90% pluggage of your right nostril. So we're going to, they put me on a, a three-week regimen of prednisone and uh, antibiotics and another um, drug that uh, is supposed to lead to some kind of correction of surgery or ultimately surgery of the deviated septum. But um he told me, he goes, yeah, the insurance likes to make sure that um, this is not a cosmetic surgery. It's a, a mechanical surgery. So I got to put you, <laughs> I got to put you on antibiotics to fix the, it won't quote unquote, fix your deviated septum, but we just got to appease them and, and put you on that. But no, for like the last two or three weeks, I actually was a functioning human being with a nose, um, could smell yeah. things and like, not <laughs> not be constantly draining and i feel like my voice is a little bit less nasally so hopefully yeah. that's a yeah. better experience for um our listeners but who knows i don't he, he asked if i was open to surgery or what that all entails but um i yeah done with the steroids steroids are awesome but um we'll see i've got a I got a scan to check out all the the different layers of the nose and figure out the the route moving forward. So I might have a, a nice busted nose in the next couple of weeks. 
Ah, is that how fast they would do surgery then? They do yeah, he asked, he asked me how aggressive I wanted to be, and I was like, I don't really care as long as it doesn't affect my um, my running and my race. So he's like, yeah, it won't. It'll And your I'll, podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, since since the Marshall doesn't have a, a dedicated ENT, he comes twice a week. So um, last week was when I got scanned. So I'm assuming and hoping that communication will be the, soon and then figure out a plan. So, you know, hopefully before... Hey, we just got family pictures taken last week. So who cares, right? I mean, I don't know. There you uh, go. Yeah, there yep. we go. Get don't it done anything. somewhere between that and next June at my wedding. Yeah, or like Thanksgiving or Christmas, other family yeah, things. If you take photos, then too. Yeah. <laughs> so then maybe you wait till January. Yeah, I suppose but it it'll be done by your yeah. wedding. Yeah, but you sound good. Sounds a lot better. Oh, thank you. Oh, I sounded bad. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> Anyways, all right. What are we talking about today? Let's, We're talking let's about move on. We're talking about types of retirement accounts today in this episode. So we'll start with and branch down into um, kind of broader and then break down into more specific. So we'll start with retirement versus non-retirement accounts, um, the benefits each are, or the differences between those two accounts. Then we'll go um, and drill down into um, the types of um, retirement accounts, employer versus individuals, and then the types of individual accounts, Roth versus traditional. Did I get that all correct? We'll start with retirement versus non-retirement. Okay. You did. Yep. Well done. We're going to keep this at a very high, you know, 30,000 foot level for everybody. Um, you know, we plan on doing future podcasts where we'll, you know, break down each of these, you know, more individually if there's, you know, a desire for that um, from our listeners. But it's something that, um, I get questions a lot from new prospective clients coming in and, and not fully understanding, you know, the difference between each of, of, you know, how an account is set up um, or, you know, a lot of times, well, I own X. Okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean the account itself changes. So, so when, when we go over these things, you know, I want, I want you as a listener kind of just remembering that these are just the account titles and what they're going to do is tell us who created it and the tax advantages or disadvantages um, that that each account has because they'll all have different taxable ramifications inside of there and the rules that we have to follow but it doesn't really dictate what type of investment um, that you have so it's it's really just kind of setting up the rules that we have to play by so as Adam mentioned um, the first kind of one we want to go through is, you know, retirement versus non-retirement, pretty self-explanatory. Retirement accounts are ones that are geared towards your retirement. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be rules on them. The government is going to give you some tax benefits depending upon what type of account it is. And in return, they're going to say, we don't want you to take this money out until you're of retirement age, which is, you know, currently 59 and a half for almost every type of account. So basically what they're saying is, is, you know, we'll let you put money in, get a tax benefit currently from it. Um, but in return, keep that money in there until retirement age. And, and in, we're going to break the retirement side down a lot more as we go through this podcast. On the flip side of that, 
there are then what are called non-retirement accounts. And again, just as the, the title says, there are accounts that are not geared towards retirement um, or, or specifically geared towards retirement, I should say. Um, and with those, you know, they're, they're, they come with a, a few different names, um, but it all, it all means the same thing. You may have heard of it as a brokerage account, um, an investment account, a taxable account, or just a non-retirement account or a non-qualified account. Um, those are some of the names that they get called. But again, that's all the exact same. All it is saying is that there isn't that restriction on having to leave that money in there until you're reti uh, of retired age, until you're 59 and a half. And you can take the money out prior to that if you would want. Now, on the flip side of that, you're not going to get those tax benefits. So if you buy I'm always going to make it easy. If you buy a stock, uh, you buy Apple. Everyone knows Apple is a company. So if you would buy Apple stock inside of the non-retirement account, um, you can sell that whenever you want. You can take the money from that whenever you want, whatever age you are, but you're not going to get these tax benefits from it. You will pay you know, capital gains tax on any of the gains that that you have from it. So it's, it's kind of a trade-off of being able to have access to that money before you get to age 59 and a half, um, but then not getting that tax benefit from them um, as, as well. So where do we, non-retirement accounts, where do we, where do we uh, execute these buys and sells and set up accounts, generally speaking? I know there's a lot of oh, sure. options, uh, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be, you know, if you have a financial advisor, that's going to be with them. They'll help, um, you know, or, or likely will be executing the, the buys and sells for you. Um, but it, it'll just depend where your money is held at. Um, you know, the big three are Fidelity, Charles Schwab, uh, and TD Ameritrade. There are various others, you know, Vanguard, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on of platforms. They call them custodians that, that hold your money. They're kind of like a, kind of like a bank, I guess I'll say. I mean, they don't have the FDIC insurance and, and whatnot. So I'm not trying I'm not trying to say that the, the money acts like a bank, but basically they hold your money and allow you to buy and sell things that you otherwise, you know, to buy Apple, you have to go through one of these custodians. You can't just, you know, write to Apple and say, hey, I want to buy some of your stock. <laughs> and why not? <laughs> yeah. Because it you know, has to be tracked and all of that. Are there minimums of uh, with those associated custodians, or are there ways to just nope. start with nope. hundred bucks? Or yeah, yeah, you can put in. Um, I, I don't believe any of them have minimums anymore. Uh, but yeah, you can you can put in you know ten bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever it is. the The minimum part that you will run into is um, if you're working with you know stocks as as I'm going to use as an example you know throughout all the podcasts because it's just easier people understand them um, and and it makes it easier for examples. But you know if you wanted to buy Apple stock, you know it's roughly around 140 dollars. So you at least have to have 140 dollars inside the account to buy one share. They don't. Um, some of them are now allowing you to do fractional share buying. Um, it's becoming more. Um, more of the norm, but not every custodian uh, allows you to do that yet. So there may that may be the only minimum you run into is just getting enough 
uh, money in there to to purchase one whole share of something. Right. Like like you're. I know you love the, this company, but Robinhood is an example of the micro sharing and it's partial sharing. Um, you don't have to necessarily yes. buy a full stock. Uh, you can buy ten bucks of uh, an apple, or you don't have to buy the full share. So uh, correct, yes. But anyways, uh, except a- for my love of Robinhood, that is very <laughs> false. <laughs> we could do a podcast just on that. Oh yeah, yeah. I was like, are you? false of that's how it is no that's that's correct but your love that yes that was a sarcastic comment (laughs) (laughs) i just wanted to make sure for our listeners but yes i not a fan of robin hood uh yeah separate separate future podcast for sure um so where i lost my train of thought with that um yeah so when you said you said something minimums anymore um i remember you know in college, you know, I didn't have a, a whole lot of um, uh, disposable income, so I I remember looking into like E Trade or Charles Schwab, and there was a minimum of like five thousand dollars. I was like, ah, I don't have that. So, not to put you on the spot, but like, when did those minimums go away, or why did they? Uh, why- yeah. I would say they've slowly been trending and getting less and less and probably within the last five years or so, roughly with it, yeah, obviously not knowing an exact date, um, that those would have went away at the at the bigger places. And, and the reason, um, you know, I'm not a CEO of any of those companies, but I would presume that it is, you know, the Robin Hoods, the Betterments, the, uh, you know, the kind of newer, um, techier, companies that came out and marketed particularly to the younger people um and said you know we don't have minimums here you know come come to us and come utilize our platform and you know allowing the fractional shares and you know they used to have um trading costs you know schwab and fidelity and all of them used to have trading costs and then all of a sudden they all um again bringing robin hood into this robin hood as I'm doing air quotes here, started the commission-free trades. Um, and, you know, I think that there was a benefit to that. Competition, um, man. It made... Yes. Uh, yes, but also they weren't actually commission-free. So, that again, that, that will be another episode. Just h- hang with us here and, and you'll, you'll have an entire episode on, on Robin Hood and why you should not invest there. But... Um, it wasn't it wasn't a commission, but they charged you a spread. So Robinhood wasn't doing it for free. It was honestly one of the greatest marketing um, ploys, maybe ever. I mean, it, it was fantastic. And and then the name of Robinhood to make it sound like everything is free, but but it's not free. Um, they just charged you in a different way through it through a spread. Uh, but a very positive thing that came out of that was is most people didn't know that. And so everyone did think it was free. And so enough people complained to Fidelity and TD and Schwab and the big players that they actually moved their trades to zero. So now, you know, if you are at Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or Schwab, um, you actually are getting commission-free trades. Now, again, it's they, they make money. They make money like banks. They make money off of the cash you have sitting there and, you know, obvious other various ways. Um, but if you're trading equities, um, you know, ETFs or stocks and certain mutual funds, um, they are actually free to, to buy and sell. And I remember when I was a kid and first started investing, um, you know, I was 15, 16, 
it was 50 bucks every time I wanted to buy or sell something. And when you're a young person, that is a huge percentage of what you're actually investing. I mean, if you're investing $100,000 and it costs you 50 to do it, okay, that's right. one thing. But if you're investing $1,000 and you're getting charged 50 on the way in and 50 on the way out, you know, that's 10%. That's a 10% fee just to be able to buy something. And so... Um, it is a very, very good thing that those have gone away because it was definitely bad for the consumer. See, even good things come out of things you hate, right? That's right. Yep, not everything. <laughs> nothing is, is always bad. There's always a silver lining somewhere. All right, moving on. But, yeah. Um, so now, so that was the non-retirement accounts that we, we kind of went through. It, the, again, just quick recap. You're not going to have, um, you're not going to get the tax benefit, but you also don't get that kind of locked in, you know, type situation where they want you to keep your money in there uh, until 59 and a half. Um, now coming over to the retirement side, uh, again, just going over the account types that you could have, you can have either an employer account or an individual account. And when we're going through these, now, remember, these are your retirement accounts. So these are going to be accounts where the government uh, is saying, we're going to give you some sort of taxable benefit for putting money in here and saving for your retirement. But because we're giving you this benefit, we want you to leave that money in there until you're 59 and a half for, again, almost all of them. A couple of them have uh, are a little bit different. Um, and... Now, again, when we talk about the employer versus the individual side, all we're talking about here is this who created the account. So I'm sure as most of our listeners are, are familiar with, the most common one is a 401k. Anything in the, they call them the 400 series. So if you have a 401k, 403b, 457, uh, you know, the list kind of goes on. Um, those are employers. So your company or if you work for the government and have a 457 or um, you know, teachers are, are the 403B universities, uh, that means your employer created that. So you don't get any real choice in any flexibility. Any, you're, they created it. So it, it's a plan that they're offering to you. And basically it's, hey, if you want to be a part of this, you can. If you're in the government, I know that there's different rules. Sometimes it's mandatory for non-government employees it's it's usually always an opt-in um, you don't have to do it always highly highly recommended to do so and to save for your retirement um, but any of those uh, are just going to be created by your employer um, there's also profit sharing there's also pensions those are kind of going away but again those are all created by the employer uh, a lot of times they'll have a match again very, very likely that you should, you know, be at least contributing up to your match if you can, because um, it's it's free money. Uh, you know, the, the company is going to give you free money to add to your retirement account. Um, Literally again, free. Please stop. Yeah, well, right, again, but I, I, without knowing who our, our listeners are and not knowing their situations, I can't make actually make that recommendation, so please go speak with someone. But there's a a good probability that whoever you speak with is going to say say that, that you should at least contribute what your company will match. 
because it's yeah it's free money um and and again that's kind of that, that's kind of it on that one like the employer creates it you don't have a lot of say in in the rules or anything like that or or what the match is what type of account i mean if your employer offers a 401k you can't go to them and say hey i want you to offer a 403b because i read about those and i like those better they're going to say no we have a 401k and and this is what this is what we're offering you so um but do you know do make sure you're looking into it do try to take advantage of it if you can it's a great way everyone needs to save for their own retirement do not rely on social security only um you know that was supposed to be just an aid and, and a and a helper not someone's entire retirement um and then for young people who knows it may not even be there so don't bank on it being there if it is cherry on top for you but what if we've paid dirt <laughs> we've paid x amount of years into that we better get that well it'll depend what congress does over the next 30 years oh, so again who, who knows yeah. yeah so those are going to be you know the retire uh the employer side of things um again 401k 403b 457s um they're going to have tax benefits for you to put money in there um which we will get into you know so it's either a pre-tax or it's an after-tax um again we're going to wait till we talk about the traditional versus roth part of that so keep that in mind but there's a tax benefit to contributing to those um and then again you have to Leave that money in there until you're 59 and a half. And if you take it out early, there's a penalty and the penalty is 10%, uh, which may not sound like a lot, but when you pay 10% on top of all the taxes that you likely owe on it, um, you know, as, uh, particularly if it's pre-tax, uh, it adds up and, and you can you can lose on, on, a, on a big chunk of it. So um, switching over to the other side now, there are um, you know, employer versus individual. And so now an individual type retirement account uh anyone can set these up uh they're they're what are called iras individual retirement account um <laughs> again pretty self-explanatory what they're they're for or who they're for they're obviously for the individual you would create this for yourself uh again you can create it if you're working with a financial advisor. Hopefully, they've got you set up with one of these. If not, you can tell them you want one set up, um, and it would be. Or if you're not working with someone, you can you know go to Charles Schwab or uh, Fidelity or Vanguard or TD Ameritrade or um, any any of them, and you can set up an account and you can put money into these. Um, now these. Uh, there are limits again, I guess I should state there are limits on the maximum amount you can contribute into employer side of things, but 99 point probably 5% of people never get close to hitting those maximums. So I don't want to get too bogged down in the weeds on that. Um, but on the individual side, the maximum is $6,000 per year unless you're over 50, in which case you can put in 7,000 per year. So now a lot more people will hit this maximum. So um, if you have a, an individual uh, retirement account, an IRA, um, you can only contribute that. And, and if you contribute more than that, uh, you, you have to take that out or else the IRS is going to penalize you. Um, and why the limit is that low, I, I have no idea. Uh, it doesn't government. really get indexed for... Well, they right, wanna, yeah, they, they said keep it. Us poor. Well, they said it back in like 
the mid 80s um and it really hasn't been indexed for inflation too much it did get a bump up a couple of years ago but that was a thousand dollars um it, it needs to be a lot higher uh, it really does um but again it does is that what stop it is. you from Cur setting up multiple iras if you, you have can. the means yep you can't can great question can't? you cannot you cannot oh, wow oh, um okay well, I, I well you cannot do what i know you're trying to get at so let let me walk through this you can have as many iras as you want you can have one or you can have i'm just going to say six you could have more than six but in all of them you can only contribute six thousand dollars unless wow. you're over 50 yep so combined you can only put in six thousand dollars or seven thousand wow. if you're over 50. Yep. okay i did yep. not know that so right yeah so you can't get around it by just creating you know 10 of them and putting six grand in each and now you were able to save right. 60 they don't allow that yep they don't allow that um and so again these are Is something that you per, can set up. that's per social security number i would assume yes so okay so yes okay yep so if you're, if you're married um you and your spouse can each do six um, every, any person can do six and and if your spouse isn't working you can contribute on their behalf um you know once you start hitting retirement that's where you run into you can't keep contributing you have to have for any type of retirement account whether it's employer or individual you have to have what's called earned income so you know receiving a pension or receiving social security um, those don't count that's not earned you have to work for it um, is kind of the easy way to think about earned income you have to have a job and, and have worked for it so um, I'll, I'll get that from time to time from some of my retired clients you know hey i have my pension and i didn't spend you know i, I don't need all of it can i put some of this into an ira you know unfortunately no uh, it has to be earned earned income so you would so, you'd have to put that into a non-retirement non-retirement yep right. you got it you got it yep you can always contribute to a non-retirement account you can always put money in there as much money in there as you want um that part doesn't matter because you're not getting any special tax benefits for doing it so the government really doesn't care how much money you put in there right okay interesting that all work any questions on that thoughts no, that was, um, <laughs> I didn't know that, I guess, because, um, you know, I contribute to an IRA and I was getting to the point where it's like, okay, I've maxed out. Maybe I can uh, forge out another portion of my budget to allow for more. Is there a potential to open up another IRA? But of course there is a yeah, workaround. So, Somebody <laughs> more fortunate than me would have thought of that. So um Right. Yeah. Yep. So it's so if you max yours out, you know, you and Greta could work towards maxing out hers, but once you've maxed out both of yours, you're you're done. Um and then it's can, gotta go into a okay. A non retirement. Yep. Which again, yeah, it can yeah, just has to go into non retirement. And it and non retirement accounts in your mind can be earmarked for your retirement i mean i have one right. of those i have just a regular investment account that i have earmarked for my retirement so in my mind it's like a retirement account but i don't get any tax benefits out of it right and so yeah depending on who's managing it the volatility 
this it all depends on what you invest in i guess but correct yeah so again remember at the beginning when we talked about it, you can put any type of of investment inside of these um with the exception of an employer when the employer runs it um they typically will have a set group of mutual funds or etfs that you can choose from inside of your 401k or, or 457 or whatever it happens to be when you are in your own running your own ira or your own uh, non-retirement account you can invest in pretty much whatever you want um and yeah so to use apple again the stock of apple can go into you know realistically could go into any of these um or or an etf an s&p that's probably easier an s&p 500 etf can go into any of these types of accounts um the investment itself does not dictate what the account does that we're, we're talking high level here this is what the accounts are who created them and what are the tax advantages or if there aren't any advantages for these types of accounts that's kind of what this podcast is just really going over it broad based so what's an etf for those that don't know <laughs> sure yeah, yeah real quick i uh, it's what's real called quick. an exchange exchange traded fund um and really it works like a, a mutual fund uh and if people aren't familiar with you mutual funds so either a mutual fund or an etf both of them are think of them as a, a bundle of stocks so um you know if i wanted to go out and buy every single company in uh I don't let's pick the, the top 100 most expensive companies because that's what I wanted to own. That would cost tens of thousands of dollars to be able to buy one share of each of those. But I can go buy an ETF that has a piece, you know, the ETF owns all of it, but my one share of the ETF will not, it, it, it makes it so that I can get diversification without having to put tens of thousands of dollars out there to purchase all of them individually on my own. So yeah. you, can, you can buy ETFs, correct me if I'm wrong, based on the similarities of the company. So if you think a particular industry is going to do well, you can buy an, like a technology ETF or like a crypto yes. ETF yep. or uh, something like that. Uh, careful with that or, one. Those okay, sorry. Are, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but. <laughs> Those are going through, uh, currently going through um, being determined whether they're going to be allowed or not. Um, but looks like they might be allowed but anyways taking crypto out of it yes you could th there's tons of things you can get broad based so it's everything in the market you could get uh a technology healthcare biotech cybersecurity um you know dividend ones income ones what whatever you're you're looking for you can find an ETF or a mutual fund for that there's yeah. thousands of them out there and and what they anyways they just an ETF or a mutual fund just bundles together a bunch of companies and makes it a lower price point for you to be able to get into that. Yeah. And yeah, less risky, right? You can. I mean, um, well, not necessarily. Yeah. I like the bundle. Well, no, no. it is. And, it, and it's not less. It on itself is not less risky. If I, you know, if there's a, a, a tech ETF that has 50 stocks inside of it, 
or I go buy all 50 of those stocks, the risk is actually the exact same thing because I own the exact same thing. What, what an ETF allows you to do is own a piece of all 50 of those companies for a lot less money so that, you know, as particularly younger people, as you're getting into investing and you don't have $100,000 or $400,000 or whatever to purchase all the stocks individually, you can get diversification for a lot lower cost. Otherwise, where the risk would come in is if these didn't exist and young people would have to um, you know, purchase individual stocks for everything, well, now there's a lot of risk because you have to save up and then you buy one share of Apple once you've saved up $140. And then you save up and you buy one share of Amazon that's 3500 and some odd dollars. Like, it's going to take you a long time to get to those and now you only own two companies. That's where the risk is because you only... You know, you you have too many eggs in two baskets, basically. Your entire portfolio is in two. So that's where ETFs and mutual funds come in. They help help you diversify for a lower cost. But anyways, those can be in any of the accounts. So wrapping this up, because we definitely don't want our podcast to go as long as the first uh, three did. Uh, <laughs> try to keep these you know, right around the 30-minute mark here. Um, the, the last thing really to go over is now the taxable nature of each. So whether it's employer account or an individual account, it can be either what's called pre-tax or after-tax or post-tax. And the post-tax ones are called Roth, R-O-T-H. And all this is saying is, you know, whether it's your employer account or whether it's a, an IRA, am I putting the money in? and I get a tax benefit right now, today, or, or this year, or am I putting the money in there, paying the taxes now, and then it gets to grow tax-free for the rest of my life, in which case I'm getting that tax benefit later. That's all that traditional pre-tax, traditional, and Roth after-tax are. That's the only difference, is when are you paying the tax? So, um, I am a huge, huge proponent of Roth IRAs right now. We are in statistically one of the lowest tax environments for probably most Americans. Um, and so I, and I'm doing this with my money, I would rather pay all the taxes right now and never pay taxes on the growth of any of that again because our taxes are low. Now, again, I'm not saying that we like taxes. I'm not saying that, you know, you may have been in a lower tax bracket. It's just, if you look at the tax bracket you're in currently and look at what that one was 5, 10, 15 years ago, go back even further, 40 years ago, you know, if you're in the 22% bracket, five years ago, six years ago, it was uh, 24, I believe, you know, and, and, and they were all higher. And if you go back 40 years ago, they were way higher. So you're paying the tax now to let that money sit there and grow and never pay taxes on that growth. It is an amazing, amazing vehicle. Um, our next podcast, please tune into that. We're going to be talking about how you can try to do more of a, of a Roth or if you haven't done a Roth and you've been putting your money into the, the traditional, the pre-tax side, how can you get it into the Roth in an intelligent manner? Um, it, is, it is very, very, very important. If you haven't been working with an advisor on it, Highly suggest that you are. If your advisor hasn't 
suggested that you've been doing this over the last four or five years, you might want to try to find a new advisor. Um, I mean, it's it's something that you could have been saving. Um, for some of my clients, I mean, we're, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars in saved taxes over the last, you know, three, four, five years, depending upon how long they've been a client of mine. So it's it's very very powerful. I also think the uh, an important thing is to look at your profession and um, going back to the pre-tax and seeing where that that salary might be later on in life. Um, paying that ta- the taxes now is if correct me if I'm wrong, you might be in a lower tax bracket now putting that money in than um, later. Does that make sense? When you're making it is when yes you're taxed, yes when you're taxed at For a higher sure. rate and making. Uh, you're 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 jumping that peg in the ladder of the tax bracket um so yeah paying that tax and we'll, now. correct you're hitting the nail on the head that is what it is it's it's determining you know trying to make an educated guess because none of us obviously know the future but making an educated guess on when am I going to be paying? When am I going to be in the the lowest bracket? Is it now? Is it later in life? You know, all these different things going on. And your example works perfect for young people. You know, as a young person, your expectation and all of our expectation is, is that as you progress in your career, you get a bump up in salary or you take a new job that gives you more money or whatever. And as you increase in salary, you're going to start climbing that tax ladder. So if you're a young person, yeah, it it really is, in my opinion, kind of a no-brainer that you should be putting money into a Roth because you're going to be in one of the lower brackets currently. But that does not mean that just because you are later on in your career that you shouldn't be looking at this, or even if you're in retirement. Most of my clients are in that bracket, actually. They're near retirement or in retirement, and we're still doing Roth conversions because you know of where the taxes are as a whole based on the history of this country and where we expect them to go based on the massive debt that we have. So again, that is for the next episode. You know, Stay tuned for that. We're going to dive much more into the weeds of, of the Roth conversion itself. Um, but really just wanted to give everyone a, a high level overview of what you know, so when you hear this account, when you're at work and you hear, this, oh, I have a 401k or I have a 457 or I have a profit sharing plan. Oh, okay. That's an employer plan. I know what type, you know, I've at least heard of it. I know what it is. My employer created that. And then if you're talking with people and they say, oh yeah, I have an IRA. Perfect. Now you, now you kind of know what that is. Same thing. So really just wanted to give everybody high level overview of, of what all these types of accounts are, who created them and the tax benefits or lack thereof for each. Right. So, I mean, this episode is meant for just a a brief overview to give you knowledge of all the different types of accounts. um, So, you know, what type of accounts that you have, we don't have enough time to, maybe we will in future episodes to pick apart each, each um, plan or each account type. So it's really listen to this episode you log into your portal or, or go to your, your employer, figure out what you have and what, what your situation is and, and do research on um, what type of accounts that you have set up with your employer. You do not have them with your employer and, and go from there and, and make that first step. If, if you know, I'm generally speaking from ground zero, right? Or young person or 
uh, it's just my default. I don't know why I do that, but um, I'm just assuming that this is kind of that first step in in the financial journey. So figuring out what you're at, where you're at with your situation and, um, you know, call your financial advisor, call Tanner, whatever. So um, do your research on your own. Um, but we, we hope this episode has, has been helpful. And as always, thanks for listening. If you haven't yet, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend. Um, we're committed to continuously providing the most accurate and relevant content to our listeners. Uh, we've got a number of listeners already, so thank you. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please uh, don't be afraid to shoot us an email at podcast at That's podcast at financiallysharp.com. For Tanner, this is Adam. See you in the next episode. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, tax, financial, or other professional services. Investment advisory services are offered through Harmony Wealth, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact Harmony Wealth at 602-935-5155 or at HarmonyWealthAZ.com.